0: Just like this man needed someone to heal him, we need somebody to make us well. Just like this man needed somebody to save him from his limitations, we need somebody to save us from ours. Compared to the physical infirmities of this man, our sin-stained consequences that we need saving from are far more serious and far more Well, as Ava read for us, uh, we are in John chapter 5 this morning. We're continuing our summer sermon series. uh, Every week saying that gets just a little bit easier. And uh, we're looking at seven signs in uh, John's gospel, the gospel of John. John's account of the life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension. Uh, of the lord jesus why are we doing this well uh, practically we do something like this in summer because usually people tend to travel Uh, so if you travel for a few weeks and come back you can slot right back in because each week kind of stands by itself but if you're not traveling in the summer we like to do something with a bit of continuity so if you are here for the summer it feels like there's a flow and a thread that's why we're doing this particular thing Why seven signs in John's Gospel? Well, we've said a couple of weeks, we'll probably say it every week, that the signs, the miracles, the wonders in the Word of God are so often uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted, and very, very simply, very, very practically, as you do, or I hope that you do, every time you get in the car, signs are there to point to something, and signs are there to be followed. And I hope that when you drive uh, in in your car, and if you're not old enough to drive, you can hold mum and dad accountable. That when you drive, you follow some signs. They're not just there to be looked at and then driven past, are they? They point to something. So we want to see what these seven signs in John's Gospel point to. So today, then, first thing I want you to pause and think. I want to ask you a question What is enough for you? What is enough for you? Are you someone who constantly needs more and more and bigger and better and more and more spectacular things in your life? Or are you someone who is content with the simplest things in life? What is enough for you? What are you satisfied with? Where do you find satisfaction? Now, I looked around this week for a really clever little introduction about satisfy uh, about satisfaction but uh i just couldn't get no satisfaction this week and i tried and i tried and i tried but i just couldn't get no satisfaction this week now if you're of a certain vintage you know exactly what i'm talking about and if, if not then you can ask uh mom or dad <laughs> what we're talking about there but very very simply what is enough for you, what are you seeking? Where do you find satisfaction? And I'm going to suggest to you, we're going to find out if I'm right together, that John chapter 5 verses 1 to 9 point to what is enough for us and therefore where we should get our satisfaction from. So the, the miracle, the sign, the wonder in John 5, 1-9 is the healing of an invalid man through the word and the will of Jesus. We'll put that out there right now. The healing, the uh, the, the healing, the sign, the wonder, the miracle in John 5, 1-9 is a healing just with the word and the will of Jesus. So, If you've not done so already, uh, turn in your Bible to the fourth book of the New Testament. And uh, we're in John chapter 5, and we're going to read again verses 1 to 5 where we set the scene for what is going on today. So read with me uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. First thing then, we read after this. What's this? It's the events that we talked about last week in John 4, 46-54, where Jesus healed the son of a royal, connected, prominent and powerful official. It's a a little bit uncertain how long John meant in, 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 in time, but we know that sequentially, so what came next is what we're talking about. Today, we read after this, after the events of last week, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, Jews at the time were expected to go up to Jerusalem for three major annual feasts Passover, Pentecost, and the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. If you read around this, most uh, scholars, Bible commentators, uh, people who make it their business to know these things, uh, would agree that this is not likely. Passover, it's not likely the Feast of Tabernacles, because that's kind of a main focus in, in John chapter 7, but possibly, probably, maybe, Pentecost, uh, which was uh, primarily a Thanksgiving festival for the first fruits of the wheat harvest, but later became associated with uh, rem- remembering the time that the law was given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. Just really quick sidebar, wonderful uh, comparison, foreshadowing preview, if you like, of it used to be when we would commemorate the, the giving of the law through Moses. And if you read Acts chapter 2, uh, you will see now uh, what we would usually refer to Pentecost uh, as commemorating. It's not hugely important which festival uh, the, they're going to here. Uh, yeah, uh, more important is what happened. So the main point is that Jesus is in Jerusalem for this. And he's gone there to a feast, a feast of the Jews. And then verses 2 to 5 really set the scene physically. Where is this happening? Who is there? What this place like? And we see in verse 2 that this happened by the Sheep Gate at a pool called Bethesda or Bethsaida or Bethzatha, uh, depending on which translation uh, of the Bible you're reading this morning. And this pool had five roofed colonnades. Now these were uh, covered walkways formed by rows of uh, columns which would support a roof and would be closed on one side and open towards the pool. Uh, on the other, and then y- therefore you could stand by the pool underneath uh, some shade if it's sunny or raining, you can walk around the pool, or you could just kind of sit and pass uh, and, and the time, but protected from the weather uh, or the heat of the sun. Uh, so, and apparently, so I read very, very recently, that this pool has been excavated in the area just north of the temple, and it was found to have five colonnades or five porches just as John said. So he's setting the scene for us in a very, very demonstrably real way. He's not making up where this took place. So this place, this pool then, uh, is, is, is one at which invalids gather. In the porches we read, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Uh, we read that in verse there's a multitude, a great number of, there's more people than John cares to count, basically. And when he writes invalid, he means uh, physically weak or infirm, inefficient. Uh, we might say disabled or differently abled. Maybe your Bible describes this man with some other term uh, to very, very simply uh, describe that he had physical limitations. Uh, and we read that he's been disabled for 38 Years. So, very, very simply, then, this is a pool of water at which those people with physical disabilities would gather around uh, when, in the hope of receiving physical healing and help. And the subject of the story, the man at the center of this sign this week, had been there, as we read uh, in verse 5, for 38 years. Well, sorry, he's been. Uh, an invalid for 38 years and we'll get there in a moment now if you've got an eagle eye if you're a very very observant uh, you might have noticed there that we went from verse 3 to verse 5 and maybe your bible doesn't even have a verse 4 and if you've not noticed that i would make an educated guess that you're now looking at your bibles aren't you to see if your bible has got john chapter 5 verse 4 or if there's a little note at the bottom of the page explaining why your Bible doesn't have a verse 4. I guess that you're looking at your Bibles right now to check. So why is verse 4 missing from some Bibles? Well, as simply as possible, if verse 4 is missing from your Bible, that will depend on which ancient family of original language, manuscript, your Bible translation is from. Now, the earliest surviving manuscripts of John's Gospel, so the oldest things on which John's Gospel was written, don't have what we would call verse 4. The later ones, so the, the newer in time copies of John's Gospel do have what we would call verse 4 in them. And, th- and this most probably came to be uh, because a scribe, somebody whose job it was to copy out this, that, and the other, was trying to explain in what we would call verse 4, they were trying to explain what happened in verse 7. But we'll get there. Anyway, Uh, That's where they are. That's what's happening. They're waiting around for the water to be stirred because tradition taught them that the first person in the water when it bubbled and and, and stirred up was going to be physically healed from uh, any ailment that they might have. So that's where we're at and that's what's going on. And then Jesus comes along. So read with me verses 6, 7, and 8. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. So Jesus sees this man, this physically disabled man, and has compassion on him. For some reason, it's not written, Jesus chose this particular man. John's already told us that there was a great multitude, more people than he cared to count or write. There's a great multitude of sick people there, lots of people there, but Jesus spoke to the one spoke to this one man. We read, Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. This guy has most likely spent many, 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 many years sitting by this pool waiting in the slim hope that one day he might be the first person to work himself into the pool And work himself towards the healing and the saving from his disability that he wants. And again, there are lots and lots of people there. There's a multitude of invalids, but Jesus has chosen this one man. Jesus was not about to conduct a healing crusade at the pool. He didn't advertise ahead of time. Then some people let him know I'm coming to gather the right kind of people around. He didn't sell some tickets. He didn't pack out a stadium. He didn't make sure the right kind of people are, are, are sitting near the front. You know, those that are, who might think that they're uh, disabled, but actually, you know, it's, uh, they just need convincing that they, you know, he didn't, he didn't choose these people and put them in very strategic places around the place. He didn't make sure that all the cameras are on him, that the doors are locked at the back. Uh, He arrived. He saw. And he cared. And then he did something about it. There was no healing crusade on the agenda here. But Jesus was about to miraculously meet this one man's need as a sign to the many and for you. Jesus knew this man had been there for a long time already. We know because John tells us that he's been physically disabled for 38 years. Jesus knew the difficulties that this man had been facing. And do you know what? Jesus knows the difficulties that you are facing right now. Jesus sees this man He knows. And he asks him, do you want to become well? Do you want to be healed? It's so simple. It's so straightforward. It's so honest. It's so open. And that is enough, isn't it? The question of Jesus, of do you want to be healed, is enough for this man. Now, maybe you think this is a strange question, uh, you know, asking a man with, with physical limitation, uh, do, do, you, do, you, do you want to be healed? But uh, culturally and customarily, um, a, a beggar, an invalid, somebody who would rely on the charity of others, at the time and in the place could make a very good living by not being cured, and therefore could lose a very good living, lose a very good and comfortable and relatively secure income by being cured of whatever is ailing them. And for you for me then, it's, it might be a little bit hard to relate to this, but it's that old attitude of, you know, it's, it's better the devil that you know, do you know what I mean? And that's thrown around with, you know, with careless abandon, and people use that to justify to themselves that they are going to settle for what they've got now, rather than being relentless in moving forward, in pursuing more, in improving, in growing, in stepping out of their comfort zone. Maybe you think it's a strange question to ask somebody who's been physically disabled for 38 years, do you want to be healed but maybe this guy was pretty comfortable with his lot in life. Now maybe he didn't have the biggest house in town, but he also, you know he had all his needs met on a daily basis. Maybe he was fairly comfortable with how things were. Maybe he saw, no need. A radical change in his life. He saw no reason to seek anything different because he's been comfortable with how things have always been and therefore he's just going to settle for his lot in life. But Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to change? Do you want my help? And friends, I'd say this with all the love in the world, you will never grow in your relationship with God, in your life of faith, in anything, if you're too comfortable with how things are. If you're perfectly satisfied, if you have found your satisfaction, that's how things are always going to be. You will never live a truly Jesus-focused life, the life that the Bible talks about as being uh, full of progressive sanctification, which means that day by day things are changing in you and through you. You're never going to live a truly Jesus-focused life if you keep things as they've always been. But that's not what God's Word teaches us about how we ought to live. Kind of floating along, satisfied with the status quo. That's how things are. I guess this is enough kind of attitude. So maybe you think this question of Jesus to the guy of do you want to be healed is a strange one. But it's actually a very, very incisive and important question. And he stands ready to ask you the same. Do you want to? More. So, for you, are you willing to give up the comfortable life that you know and live to live the life that God wants you to live? That question of do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Do you want more is just as relevant to you as it was to this guy. So, the man here says he wants help. But then he points to his earthly circumstances as being so very limiting, which for him, don't get me wrong, they genuinely were. We read he's been um, paralyzed, uh, an invalid, disabled for 38 years. So he says, kind of, but then look at how things are. But remember, who, who is he talking to here? Who is this man talking to? He says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, kind of. He didn't even say yes. I've got no one to put me in the pool and other people just get there before me. Uh, John Calvin said about this. He said, The sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and does not dare promise himself more than he can conceive in his mind. How much does that hit you where it hurts? We don't dare promise ourselves more than what we can conceive in our mind. And therefore, in our minds, we limit the extent, the amount to which God can help us. He's really saying, yeah, I do want help. I do want to be healed. But you know, I can't do anything about it because there's nobody here to help me. So yes, healing would be good, but how things are, presently and circumstantially, that seems to show me that it's not going to happen for me. So healing would be good, but maybe it's it's not for me. And then we see the sign, the miracle, the wonder. Jesus then heals this man with his word and his will. No tricks, no deception, no Hollywood theatric. Three simple instructions. Read with me verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Get up, take up your bed. Uh, Think about like a, a mat, a sleeping mat. If you've ever been camping, something like that. If you use an exercise mat at the gym, something, something like that. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Even, even simpler, if we were to go even more literal from the language that John wrote this in, it would be stand, lift, walk. Three things. Stand, lift, walk. And this happened as the man responded in faith, at the very same time. And he did exactly what Jesus told him to do, though so just a moment before, this was impossible in his mind, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess I'd like some healing, but presently, circumstantially, evidentially, it's not going to happen for me. Jesus says, stand, lift, and walk. Sir, I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up while I'm going down another step. Stand before me. He wants more. But he's looking around himself and he's saying, I guess I'm not getting any more. This man and the multitude were all gathered there waiting for a great big supernatural show and display. The tradition. And the teaching was that an angel would come now and again to stir up the water. And if you're the first one to work yourself into the water, or if you're, if you're invalid, lit- uh, so I read, be pushed into the water. If you are the first one, you're going to be healed. So the multitude and this man are gathered there waiting for a great, big, supernatural show. Yet most people who were looking for that, most people who were waiting for that, were left constantly disappointed under the lasting effects of the healing, the supposed healing, that took place during these traditions was never much talked about. And yet there's Jesus. Here is Jesus, standing right next to where these bigger, grander, more outrageous displays of healing were said to take place. And he stood coolly and calmly and said, stand, lift, and walk. That was all that was needed for the man to have the ability to do that and the desire to do that. Stand, lift, and walk. More than spectacular things, spectacles sought by the masses, this sign shows us that the word and the will of Jesus is all it takes to heal miraculously, very, very simply. He is enough. This really, really ought to have a big impact on how you think about things like this. You don't need to pray for the performance, for the... For the big. You don't need to wish for the wonder. You just need to, 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 to wish to, to, to pray. You don't need to wish for the wonder. You just got to pray for the word, and the will of Jesus to be done in your life. Because that will do what nothing else can do. So another question for you then is, will this actually inform how you pray and think about things Will this inform how you do and what you do? Are you going to look at Scripture? Are you going to look at this as as being the ultimate example, as being informing and transforming of what you do and how you do it? Or are you going to look at this and then think, well, you know, I've seen some stuff on the Internet or whatever, And they did this and that, and then they claimed that there was some healing. So what I'll do is I'll try some of that stuff and I'll pray for this, just in case. Or are you going to see the plain and honest teaching of Scripture that Jesus heals miraculously, spectacularly, and supernaturally, simply through His Word and His will, without anything else? And I love how this passage finishes. What well, finishes? What we read in verse nine. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. This man obeyed Jesus and was healed. He obeyed exactly what Jesus said, exactly when Jesus said it. There was no time to think about it, to go off and really deeply consider it. There was no time to plan it. No time to ponder over it, no time to form a committee and vote on it. This guy listened and obeyed Jesus exactly when he said, in exactly the way he said. At once, he took up his bed and walked. In John chapter 5 then, verses 1 to 9, we see the third sign, the third miracle, the third wonder uh, in John's gospel. And the main point of the miracle, as we said, what the sign is pointing to is that the word and will of Jesus are enough for you, for me, for us. This is freeing. This should be freeing and liberating and invigorating because the burden of trying to get things done, trying to make sure that everything and everybody in your life is healthy and well and taken care of and they're just living their best life. That's off you. That's not a burden that you need to carry. The man at the center of this sign had been, as we read, invalid, disabled for many, 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 many years without Jesus being present and active in his life. He was always going to be like that. And it shows us that we're hopeless and we are helpless without Jesus being present and active in our lives. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everybody with physical limitations will be physically healed should they become a follower of Jesus. I'm saying that without Jesus, this man was always going to be left wanting more. This man was at the very edge of what was taught a tradition as the place of healing, as close and as ready as he could possibly and humanly be for all of his unsuccessful efforts to get into that pool. It only made it more and, more and more and more and more obvious that his earthly efforts, his human efforts, were never going to save him or heal him or restore him. And in the same way, for you and for me, working towards your own salvation, working towards what you think is your better life, will leave us, like this man was, unable to actually get there. We might feel like we're close, but in reality, we're not. As that old saying goes, oh, you are so close, but yet so far. And in reality, you're not close. You are far. You you feel close. But you're not, but you're not. This man was hanging on to former traditions, the way things had always been at the time, hanging on to man-centered religious traditions and teachings. But he was powerfully confronted by a Savior who simply said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want more? Do you want the life that I'm offering you right now? And just think that man could could have said, well, you know, if I wait long enough, I'm sure that my day will come and I'll work myself to healing, restoration, and wellness. Uh, I'll just wait. Thank you, Jesus. For you, then, what are you waiting for? Why? Why are you waiting Why are you waiting and being content with how things are when at the back of your mind and deep down in your heart you know that you want a deeper, stronger, richer faith life and a deeper, stronger, richer relationship with God? Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Jesus is saying, get up, lift up whatever has been your safety net, your safety blanket, your crutch, your bed, and be active, go, and do, and walk. So just think again, what is your safety net? What is your crutch? What's the bed that you've been lying on too comfortably for too long? Is it your job? Is it your income? Is it your spouse, your kids, your parents, your grandkids? Is it your house or your stuff? Is it social media, the image of yourself that you want to project? And just think, what is your safety net? And what is Jesus calling you to get up from, to pick it up, to walk? And as this man would have done, leave it. You don't need that beggar's bed anymore. You don't need that mat anymore. So what is Jesus calling you to get up from? Pick it up and then discard it and walk away from towards him. Just like this man needed someone to heal him, we need Somebody to make us well. Just like this man needed somebody to save him from his limitations, we need somebody to save us from ours. Compared to the physical infirmities of this man, our sin stained consequences that we need saving from are far more serious and far more pressing. Just like this man was offered healing and help by Jesus, we Who you right now are offered healing and help by Jesus. Please hear me now. There's never a guarantee of physical healing in the Word of God. Spiritual healing and restoration, yes. You can look at Joel chapter 2, Romans chapter 10, John 3, Ephesians 2, John 5, Revelation. We could just go on and on and on. But just think if Jesus can heal a lifetime. A physical disability simply with his word and his will, what can he do for you? If he can heal a lifetime of physical disability, what can he do for you? Just like this man heard and believed, obeyed and acted, we are called to do the same. So, right at the start then. We began with the question what is enough what's enough for you where are you finding your satisfaction are you looking for spectacular supernatural spectacles all the time because that's what you've been told or are you earnestly and with all your heart mind soul strength spirit all of you pursuing the word and the will of jesus knowing that that is enough for you in any and all situation trial or tribulation and that is my prayer for you today that that is enough for you that Christ is enough for you in any and all